Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 2. Dragon Door. Before James could share Elf's letter with Jenny, the dome's backstage door opened and all chatting suddenly ceased. A tall woman wearing a headset and holding a clipboard peered out. She was wearing a black Brighton Dome t-shirt and a name badge with Helen written on it. Are you the 945 group? The woman named Helen said. She stepped out in front of the nodding group gathered around the door. I need the 945 group only. We're on a tight schedule and already running late, so please could the 945 group come through? People started moving, and Helen ushered the children and adults inside. James slipped the letter back in the hinged box, shoved the box back into his bag, and caught up with Jenny. They waited at the back of the group, before approaching the tall woman once everyone else had gone inside. We're here too, Jenny said. Look at the lights, Helen cut in. Jenny nodded. No can do, I'm afraid, Helen said flatly. The lighting crew aren't in yet. Don't know what time they'll be in, so for now the lights are off limits. Jenny's shoulders slumped, and James sensed her disappointment. We only need to look at the lighting console, he said. I just need to check the... No can do. Off limits. Now, you can go back home or come with us to look at the stage. It wasn't much of a choice, so the two children tagged onto the back of the group and followed them through to the backstage of the dome. They were in a wide functional corridor, walls painted light grey, with the sort of thin carpeting found in school libraries. There were a number of doors leading off the right-hand side. We might be able to get some idea about the lights, James whispered. Keep your eyes open for any cables and hardware. I bet there's some equipment around that we can fiddle with. Jenny nodded. And even if it is off limits, James went on, we might be able to sneak in and... No, Jenny hissed. Just be sensible. I don't want to get thrown out. Helen led the group through a set of double doors and up a short staircase that took them into the rear of the stage, a large space behind a huge black curtain. There were big flight cases and piles of equipment all over the place. Most of it was for stage dressing, organising props, and for the sound system. Jenny did a good job of spotting cables and found a tall rack of amplifiers, but nothing to control the lights. The group didn't wait there for long. They moved on, following Helen around the side of the black curtain and out onto the main stage. It was an impressive sight, a wide circular auditorium with a huge balcony running almost all the way round. It's all up there, James said, as they walked across the stage behind the others. The lighting booth. All the cables from the lights are running towards it. He pointed at a gap in the seating, at the very back of the balcony. We'll never be able to sneak up there without people noticing. Jenny didn't respond. She was gazing around the hall, probably daydreaming about dancing in front of the prince and princess, James figured. Those cables aren't going the same way, Jenny said pointing at a smaller set of lights by the side of the stage. They're going down. Look. The lights were between the two sets of curtains, supported by an old scaffold. The housings looked older too, made of a gold-coloured metal, brass perhaps. Their cables didn't track up the walls towards the booth like the other lights, but followed the scaffold down and into a hole in the stage itself. I think I saw a door to the understage on the way up here, James said just before the stairs. It wouldn't hurt to have a quick look. 
cover for me. Before giving any time for Jenny to object, he slipped back through the black curtain, down the stairs from the stage, and away from the group. The door he had seen was in the carpeted corridor, which he now realised ran all the way along the back of the stage. He tracked back and found the door, set back into the wall and down a couple of steps. It looked a little lower than a normal door, and there was a mop and bucket resting against it. He checked for people, moved the mop and bucket to the side, drew back the bolt that was holding it closed, and pushed the door open. It was dark inside, and at first glance probably was just a caretaker's cupboard. James looked for a light switch at the side of the door. He heard voices in the corridor close by. He quickly felt in his coat pocket for his house key, which had a small torch attached. Then he stepped into the darkness and pulled the door closed behind him. The little keyring torch gave enough light for James to work out he wasn't just in a cupboard. Near the door was a set of wooden shelves that had various cloths, mops and cleaning fluids on it. Next to the shelves, someone had stacked a whole load of cardboard box files to form a temporary, if a little ramshackle, wall. But the low ceiling clearly stretched far beyond the stack of boxes and the cleaning shelves. James tried to pick up one of the box files on the stack nearest the cleaning shelves to make a hole in the makeshift wall, but it was much too heavy to lift. He opted instead to shuffle the cleaning shelves themselves back. They slid easily enough, and he squeezed past them into the space beyond. It was a gloomy expanse stretching away past the limits of his LED torchlight. There were a few more dusty boxes of equipment stacked behind the box files, but other than that, the understage was empty. The ceiling's wooden support beams were only inches from James's head. Every so often, there was a vertical post supporting the wooden beams which held the stage floor. He walked forward slowly, head up, sweeping the torch from side to side, looking for the run of cables Jenny had found. A puff of dust burst into the beam of torchlight, unleashed by a movement above. Two sweeps of his torch, and he found the wires and cables coming through the stage floor. They were rooted along a large support beam, held in place every so often by hooks screwed into the old wood. The cables led him further away from the cleaning shelves. It became obvious to James that there would be no console or desk down here. He reached a wall, and rather disappointingly, the cable snaked down into a small hole in the wall near his feet. Kneeling down to look at the hole, his torch flickered and he saw a dim orange glow around the cables. The hole was not rough-edged, like he'd seen for the electrics in the converted attic at home. It was a neat hexagonal hole that had an intricately shaped metal border. It was that same gold-coloured metal again, with shapes that looked like fish scales, engraved or etched all the way round. He turned the torch off. Immediately, the glow from the cable hole was noticeable. He waited a little longer for his eyes to adjust. There was a definite smell of damp earth, and the floor under his knees was hard. He could feel grit and dirt through his trousers. Another faint glow became visible to the right of the hole. It was a thin line tracing the edge of a rectangle about the size of an A3 piece of paper. He traced his fingers round the rectangle and found a small indent near the bottom edge. He dug his fingers into the depression and pulled. The rectangle slid up, revealing a small crawl space beyond. It was little more than an electrical cupboard. James turned his torch back on for a better look. 
The cables from the stage were joined by many others, forming the sides and top of the cupboard. The cables ran two feet forwards before descending through a brass grate in the floor. The grate, it seemed, was the source of the dim orange light. Holding his torch between his teeth to give more light, James shuffled on his front to look down through the brass grate. His body filled most of the space. His arms were trapped awkwardly underneath him, and his legs were still out in the understage area. Peering through the grate, torch between teeth, James saw that there was a small room below him. It was full of cables hanging from the ceiling like streamers. His view was obscured by the grate and the cables, but he thought he saw movement at the far end of the room below. And at the far end was an old wooden door, decorated with an ornate brass dragon. With his torch between his teeth, he felt a string of saliva forming at the edge of his mouth. He sucked it back instinctively before it dripped free, and three things happened. His dribble was contained safely in his mouth. His torch, along with his house key, dropped from his mouth and fell through the grate. And before the key hit the floor, something large and black flashed from the dragon door and caught them. James jerked back from the grill, hitting his head hard on the cables behind him. The orange light in the room below went out, and James heard the click of a door shutting. Quickly as he could, he wriggled out of the hatch and found himself standing in complete darkness under the stage. Breathing hard from shock, he rubbed the back of his head and felt something warm and moist on his fingers. What had taken his key? Something big and black and fast. It must have been a bat, but it was bigger than any bat he'd ever seen. He shuddered at the thought, and with no torch, he was now trapped in the pitch black. He reached up and could feel the cables. Since the cables had led him to the wall, he decided to follow them back. After a few steps, he saw a light ahead to his right. It was ever so faint, but he adjusted his course and soon found himself back at the cleaning shelves. Some light was seeping under the little door. He squeezed past the shelves, moved them back into place, and pushed out into the corridor. Only the door didn't move. He tried it again, but it was no use. Someone must have locked it from the outside. Trapped in the dark with no torch and no key, James felt about three seconds of absolute panic before he heard the bolt slide back and the door swung open. The light from the corridor outside was blinding after the pitch black under the stage. James shielded his eyes with a hand and saw Jenny standing at the top of the little set of stairs with her arms crossed. She did not look happy. "'What were you doing?' she hissed. "'I told you not to do anything stupid. I've been waiting outside for five minutes and had to sneak back in with another school to come and let you out.' "'I found something interesting,' James said defensively. "'Those cables lead into a lower room. It's got a dragon door at one end. And I also think a giant bat stole my key.' "'What's wrong with you?' she said, stomping away back down the corridor. James quickly pulled the door closed, put the mop and bucket back into place. He trotted to keep up with Jenny, who was walking fast and not looking at him. "'I think there's something strange going on here,' he managed as he caught her up. "'If we get caught messing around here and the school finds out, they'll ban us from the performance. I thought I was doing you a favour letting you help. You think we can just say, a giant bat stole James's keys and they'll let us off?' "'Well, it looked like a bat,' James said sheepishly, "'but I couldn't really see it, and I think I cut my head.' They pushed through a fire exit barrier handle and out into New Road. James touched the back of his head and winced. His fingers were covered in blood. 
Jenny turned back, ready for another admonishment. Then she saw his hand. How did you do that? she asked, concern creeping into her voice. Turn around, let me look at your head. He did as she asked, and felt her carefully part the hair around his cut. It's not too bad, she said. There's quite a lot of blood, but I don't think the cut will need stitches. But you're covered in filth. She was right. His clothes were covered in layers of black dust. It looked like he'd been cleaning chimneys all morning. Before he could reply, he noticed a man wearing a black coat with a hood on come out from behind the scaffolding at the side of the dome. A large crow swooped down and settled for a moment on the man's shoulder. Look, James said, pointing. What? Jenny said sharply. If a big crow like that landed on my shoulder, I'd probably shake it off or something. The man turned and started walking down New Road. And they both saw it. The flash of a silver keyring slipping from the crow's talon into the man's top pocket.